At the well, Jesus saw the depth of the heart of a broken woman and loved her into conversion and mission. Likewise, we long to encounter the one who loves, redeems, and fulfills us, and you're invited to join in. This is the podcast at the well. Welcome back, everyone, to season four, episode four of At the Well. We are very pleased to continue with our series on the joyful mysteries and very excited to talk to you today about the fourth joyful mystery, which is the presentation in the temple. So as always, we're going to begin with prayer and I'll just have Rachel lead the opening prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. God, we thank you for bringing us today together to be able to present ourselves to you and offer ourselves to you today as your servants so that we may share what you have revealed to us in this mystery of the presentation so that we can all learn what it means to be obedient to you, what it means to humble ourselves before you. And we thank you, Father, for guiding us by the Spirit to be able to show us your light, the light of the world, the light that reveals salvation and our need to rely on you. Lord, we ask that everyone who is listening today be granted the grace to be able to hear and see in this mystery what they need to in order to grow closer to you. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Rachel, for that prayer. We hope that everyone had a wonderful Christmas season. And what is interesting in the church calendar is that as we move from the Christmas season, we go into ordinary time, into the ministry of Jesus. And what I think is also interesting is that in covering the joyful mysteries, we're now covering the events after the nativity of Christ. So in some ways, it's kind of nice to picture the timeline that Jesus and Mary and Joseph would be moving along just after the nativity and what they would be doing a week after in what we would celebrate as New Year's. So the presentation of the temple is one of the earliest events that we have access to in the scriptures We know that they partook in this ritual. It's a really interesting mystery for a lot of reasons. The virtue that's actually associated with the mystery, because there's a virtue for all of them, is obedience. I think obedience, Rach, is like a really interesting virtue, just because at first it just rubs everyone the wrong way. You know, it seems so unpopular, like just obey. (laughs) Because it's so easy sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's either easy or it maybe doesn't lend to this whole environment of critical thinking and questioning. It seems like it's what somebody who lacks intellect would do, right? Just listen or just follow or just be a sheep. But I actually think that for this reason, because of the way obedience challenges us, this mystery has so much to teach us. So to give you a little bit of context, um, this goes into really what struck me about the mystery. The entire reason that Jesus and Mary and Joseph go to the temple is very interesting. On the one hand, I'm sure people around them may not have been surprised because they saw a couple who was recently married with a child just really following Jewish law. 
So the law at the time, there would have been at least two Mosaic laws that pertain to Mary and to Jesus, and Joseph would have helped them carry these out. So to Mary, there would have been a law of purification where a woman who had recently given birth would have to go to the temple and make an offering because she would need to purify herself after this ritual of giving birth. And with Jesus, the law stated then that the firstborn male should be consecrated to the Lord and the sacrifice of two turtle doves should be offered. Now, the first thing that should strike you immediately as I say this is that they went about fulfilling this ritual that was completely irrelevant to them. And what I mean is that by being without sin, by having Jesus in an immaculately conceived way, Mary did not need to be purified because the entire process of giving birth did not take away her virginity. And because she actually could maintain being a virgin while also being a mother, this was a very unique birth that did not need her to be purified by the Jewish law after this. So on account of Mary, it is unnecessary for her to subject herself to this. Similarly with Jesus, the entire reason he would have to be presented in the temple is because as the firstborn male, he should be consecrated to the Lord and a sacrifice of two turtle doves would have to be offered for him. But we all know he's no ordinary firstborn male. He does not need to be uniquely consecrated to God. He is God, right? He himself, as the second person of the Trinity, has come up with all of these laws back in the book of Exodus uh, when the Jews first received the Mosaic law. So I just find it really striking, first and foremost, that even in the events of the presentation of the temple, I see Jesus and Mary and Joseph exercising such an amazing sense of humility in saying, we don't need these laws. They don't apply to us, but we are going to be obedient to them because we trust that in this process, God can do something bigger than we think we can do, right? If we carry out this whole birth and this whole life of Jesus our way, that's not going to be the best thing. God's will ultimately will be the best thing. So I'm just really struck by their extreme humility and their willingness to really go through with the presentation in the temple. And like all things, we know that when they actually subject themselves to this law, they don't end up only blessing themselves, but they encounter these unique characters in the temple, right? And that's Anna and Simeon. And them being obedient to the will of God is actually a blessing in their own life and in the lives of those around them. So those are just my initial thoughts whenever I think about this really, really unique event of the presentation of the temple. What are your thoughts, Rach? Yeah, I, I really like the fact that you pointed out that none of them really needed to do this. And when I was kind of sitting with it, I also was thinking about the fact that Mary had to do this whole ritual of staying away from sacred things because that was the mosaic law she couldn't go near sacred things for 40 days after she gave birth her having to like remove herself from that which was sacred must be difficult because this is someone who is so pious this is someone who has this great relationship with god that he made her the mother of god and that must have been very difficult for someone like her who probably spent a lot of time at the temple. And then I started to think about when she got to the temple, there usually was a lineup there. It's like, here they are, you know, they have God in their hands and they got to line up like everyone else to wait for the priests. And so 
I know it's like you're not special (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know and there's this temptation in our lives obviously um not in theirs but in ours to be like hey do you know who I am like I should get a VIP pass here right (laughs) and here's the mother of God and Saint Joseph the foster father of God and God himself and they're all just lining up like everyone else And that should tell us something in our own lives about being able to be patient and wait in line. But (laughs) yeah, so that is a good, good image of the humility that they showed in this moment. And you kind of spoke about Simeon and Anna, and that was kind of what struck me in this. When I thought about the presentation, what drew my attention was Simeon and Anna, both of them were these devoted elders of the church in a lot of ways, and they both were very pious and very contemplative. They had a strong prayer life and fasting life. It actually says specifically that Simeon was a man who was righteous and devout, and he was looking forward to the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested on him. Like this is how he was described in the scripture passage. And then Anna was described as she never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. So they're describing Anna and Simeon as these very, very faithful servants of God who are just immersing themselves in a relationship with God. And this is what formed their interior life. And so I'm amazed at the fact that God enters this temple and instantly they recognize him like an old friend, like a best friend. You know, it's like they spend their time in so much union and communion with God that they were able to recognize him instantly. They were able to see who he was automatically because of their life of prayer and fasting. So that tells us that one, prayer and fasting is definitely not a waste of time, right? It's like, this is how you can actually deepen that relationship with God. When I think about Anna and Simeon, I think to myself, like there is definitely this blessing in having that relationship with God. Because if I wasn't praying and I wasn't fasting, then would I recognize him in my life? And so that's kind of what really struck me in the story. Again, coming back to the obedience and doing what God wills for us to do. And in this case, clearly Simeon and Anna were blessed with the revelation of actually seeing God and seeing God's promises fulfilled because we know that Simeon was waiting before he died. He was actually waiting to see salvation enter into the world. This was his blessing for being such a faithful servant, that fidelity to God gave him this this fulfillment of this promise that he was able to witness. And so, yeah, it's just so beautiful. And then I also thought about St. Joseph. Imagine how much he's already had to move his family from place to place up until this point in the Christmas season. And in this story, he's been kind of directed by the angel of God to, to move from place to place to place. And again, Here's another thing that Joseph is listening to and being obedient to is that he's fulfilling this law so that Jesus can be presented to the temple and enter into his house. And so it's just so beautiful that this father figure that Jesus has been given in St. Joseph is just so obedient to God the Father. It's such a beautiful thing because this could have been a very dangerous thing. We, we forget that Jesus' life is at stake still. Herod was wanting to kill him not too long ago in the story. So it's Joseph coming out of hiding. It was probably safer for them 
to be in hiding. So them coming out of hiding to present Jesus in the temple was also still a very dangerous or potentially dangerous thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really like your your description of how Simeon and Anna there, just by spending their whole life praying and fasting, which is no small feat, they're really embodying the words of Jesus later, right? When he tells the apostles they cannot cast out a particular kind of demon or really do the works of God profoundly. And he says that this kind of activity can only be done through prayer and fasting. So, wow, what an amazing reward. It's actually like the most amazing reward for a life of service and obedience is that they get to see the presence of God. And you can tell that this is the fulfillment of everything they want because they actually feel ready to die, right? With Simeon's canticle after this, he says, you can dismiss your servant. Like, I can die now. I have seen all that there is to see and fulfilled every sort of longing in my heart. Can you imagine like how, how much we take for granted when we see the Lord in adoration, when we see yeah. him during mass in that ultimate sacrifice, we're just taking for granted what was something so treasured by Simeon and Anna to be able to behold Christ in his presence. If only we felt that every time we saw Jesus in the Holy Sacrament of the Eucharist, you're just like, wow. Like, Jesus is here, you know? I could die. That's how happy I am. So, <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that would be the goal of, of life, right? We kind of say it sometimes in popular movies or media, like, I'm so happy I could die. Because to just get to a point where every fulfillment of your heart has been met, that is like the ultimate goal of all of our searching for happiness and, and all of our searching for the meaning of life. So amazing in this mystery, actually, that we get to see two people who have that desire met and who are blessed to see God face to face. And they don't take it for granted. And like you said beautifully, there's lots of other people in the temple, right? This is not an isolated scene but they have the eyes to recognize God. And that's the key. And, you know, to think about Jesus truly becoming man in everything that he does that he doesn't have to do. This is just one of those things, again, where he shows and reveals to us just how true a man he is in that his life is literally the life of a man here on earth. Yeah, And the same thing that the same ritual that other Jewish boys would have to go through and their parents, this holy family goes through right just just in a beautifully humble way so i think like we do with all the mysteries it actually feels like we've embedded a lot of practical lessons into this already but maybe we could just sum up a few practical takeaways that we have from the mystery so i really am struck by the fact that jesus and mary and joseph have a lot of humility in being obedient to this jewish law to even going to the temple to undergoing this rite to paying the money for two turtle doves. They of all people, you know, may at some point just think that they don't need religion, right? Because uh, they have the presence of God himself. They have the maker of this entire Jewish faith with them. Their entire birth journey and pregnancy journey has been blessed and imbued really dramatically with the entire presence of God. So what's interesting is they don't take any of that for granted just because they have the son of God and they are the father and mother of God here on earth, they actually say, no, we put our trust in these laws which God has given us. And um, for me, this practical lesson can really come down to sometimes my attitude, maybe your attitude towards the religious rituals I subject myself to, the sacraments 
that I undergo out of faith, maybe they can get tedious, right? Maybe me feeling like I have to go to a baptismal preparation course, or I have to go through first communion preparation classes, or I have to keep going to confession over and over again for the same sins that I struggle with. Maybe these can get tedious. But I think the beauty of the sacraments and of religious laws that have definitely been passed on by God through tradition are that we undergo these trusting that we will actually be filled with grace if we are obedient to them, right? So I feel more motivated, actually, in seeing them go through the presentation in the temple. I feel more motivated to actually trust that I will encounter God in the religious rituals of my life that the church gives me today. And I actually feel the need to ask for more and more humility and more trust that God will give me the desire to enter into these more fervently so that I can see him face to face in all of these. So I hope that Mary and Joseph and Jesus inspire you in their humility in the temple to actually think the same things about maybe your attitude towards religious rituals or towards the amount of trust we place in the fact that God is acting through his sacraments today. What about you, Rach? Thank you, Eric. That was so beautiful. As you were talking, I'm thinking about how important attending Mass is and all our friends and family who you know, may not regularly attend Mass anymore, or some of the people that I know that have said, well, I don't feel the need to go to Mass because I can talk to God wherever I am. This is a perfect reason why we need to go. So the Holy Family had to do it. I think we can make our way to the church as well. But, you know, I and, don't they know. Could, they, and they could literally talk to God whenever they wanted, right? Because he was right there. But they felt the need to encounter God through these rituals that he prescribed. Yeah. So thank you. That was beautiful. Um, the other thing that I wanted to highlight in terms of a practical takeaway, which I kind of already spoke about, but I'll, I'll kind of go into a little bit more detail, was in regards to the prayer life and fasting life of Anna and Simeon and how that is a good example for us, because sometimes we might not prioritize prayer, or sometimes we may find a dry spot in our prayer and not feel like doing it, or not feeling like we're, we have enough energy to do it. Sometimes we might be too tired or something. And here's a good reason why we should, is because like anything, a disciplined life, a consistent prayer life continues to form that union with God. It continues to form us in our interior life, reading scripture. Um, you know, if we use scripture to pray, if we just have conversation with God, it develops our relationship with him, just like talking to any other friend. And so we can see that it sometimes might start off as a discipline. I was listening to a Christian pastor on social media, and he kind of likens the desire to pray to going to the gym. And he was saying that basically, when you first start going out to the gym, that first workout, it's always hard to motivate yourself to go, but you you know, set a discipline for yourself and you do it. So the desire might not be there yet to go to the gym because who wants to go to the gym and exercise on that first day after not exercising for a really long time? Because you know, it's going to be rough, but you set a discipline and you follow through with it. That discipline of going to the gym every day will eventually become a desire to go to the gym, especially once you get into that routine. It's like when you don't do it, it's like, oh, something's missing. I don't feel good. And physically, you feel like, oh, this is awful. 
that same attitude can apply to our prayer life. If we start it off as a discipline and kind of make ourselves do it and make ourselves build this habit or form this habit, eventually there will be reward from that prayer life and you will actually feel a desire start to build to have that conversation with God daily. And when you miss it, you'll feel that difference too in your life. And that's something that I think Although it might be difficult at first, you know, try to set a time of prayer. Try to set an environment that's conducive to pray and see where that takes you. If you stick with that and form that habit, I guarantee you, you will truly enjoy the relationship that you start to build with God. So prayer and sacraments, I guess. <laughs> Thanks, Rita. That's a really good analogy with the gym and, and with prayer because it's just about like you said, building up that disposition, realizing the desire won't come immediately, just like actually going through a ritual, right? Weekly mass, frequent confession. It can feel like a drag. But I think from that one moment where we know it's actually benefiting us, that becomes the impetus to keep going. And especially the opposite happens when we see ourselves stop, like you said, and then we know that it's detrimental to stop, right? It's actually harmful not to persevere. So yeah, I think that's the beauty of trusting that something can be better for you than you think. And God can know more about what makes you happy than you know. It's probably just a lot of humility with, with that whole piece. So thank you. And we hope that this reflection on the presentation blessed you in some way. And we hope you'll add to it by meditating on the presentation yourself and just seeing what strikes you. And just as a last kind of thought about the whole narrative story in the presentation, I do find one other interesting aspect that comes of their obedience. So like you just summarized, Rach, Mary and Joseph go, and because they are obedient in the presentation, they actually get this amazing gift. They get to hear this prophecy about how the life of their child is going to go and how the life of even Mary is going to go. Yeah, so just in case I were Mary and Joseph and I already were ex exercising a lot of humility in undergoing this, there may be a small part of me that would be tempted to believe that some joyous event is going to happen when I go into the temple, right? And undoubtedly, this joy happens for Simeon and Anna. But what I find immediately really funny and contradictory is that the prophecy that Simeon echoes about both of them is not positive or bright in any way, right? It is this prophecy that, guess what? This child who is going to be the Messiah and is going to be the presence of God, he will be a great light, but he will also be a sign of contradiction and he will be hated and he will be persecuted. And immediately in the prophecy, there is the foreshadowing, right, of, of his death. And then what seems to add tragedy to tragedy is that Mary is told, and Joseph has to endure listening to this, that a sword will pierce her own heart. So I don't think it's easy to say that they could leave the temple in very high spirits, right? They know this is the will of God. They know it's going to happen. And they know that God is doing something really beautiful in bracing them. But I don't think this is easy news to receive. And I think it's an important lesson for us to say that just in the mo just because I'm obedient to the will of God and I trust God and I'm faithful does not mean that he will spare me from the necessary sufferings and the necessary crosses that he can use to actually build something in me, right? And to actually make his will in me known. So 
Mary and Joseph and Jesus are a prime example of subjecting themselves to the will of God, receiving less than positive news from God, but still leaving the temple with more trust than ever that God is going to get them through this. Yeah, that's a great point. We definitely, I'm glad you added that in, Erica, because it's really easy to think joyful and that everything is is going to be great, right? <laughs> but this definitely, in a lot of ways, shows that Jesus is a contradiction because that joy, it always accompanies sorrow. And St. Pope John Paul II, he actually wrote in Redemptoris Mater, Simeon's words seem like a second annunciation to Mary, for they tell her of the actual historical situation in which the son is to accomplish his mission, namely in misunderstanding and sorrow. So that just gives an indication of, as you were talking about earlier, this Christmas season ending, moving into the ordinary season, and then very quickly pointing us already to the Easter season and Lent coming up very shortly. It's this contradiction of life and death, and there's always that theme throughout the story of Jesus's life. Absolutely. Every joy is tinged with sorrow, and sorrow is the thing that maybe allows people to recognize joy after that, right? So... I guess it's just only in heaven where there will, will be a place that is pure, unfiltered joy, untainted by the sorrow. So that just goes to show you how, how less than perfect all the, the joyful moments on, on earth are. And on that happy note, we'll go into, <laughs> we'll go into our God incidents, um, which we usually do. So I actually had one that's very fitting with the theme for today. I spent this Christmas, this past Christmas, doing something I think I've never done on Christmas. Um, so uh, I was in India, actually, with my husband on a, on a vacation, visiting family and, and just uh, doing some touristy things. And what was really nice was that on the 24th night, we went to midnight mass for, for the Christmas mass. But then on Christmas Day itself, I actually found myself walking this path up to a cross and I realized very quickly that this path was the journey of the stations of the cross that was just embedded along the way on on this big climb up a hill that you do and I remember thinking to myself before I left like do I want to do the stations of the cross on Christmas day because that seems a bit Lenten and not like the Christmas message at all but as I begin to actually reflect on each station and then get to the top of the hill and um, the 14th station and think really heavily about the passion of our Lord, I thought very intently about how the entire Christmas story is this story of one who was born to die for us. The events of the nativity, the gifts of myrrh, frankincense, and gold that the wise men bring, they already foreshadow the death. And Jesus just profoundly being placed in a manger shows this way that he was really meant to be food. So on the one hand, it felt odd to me, but I actually realized this really cool spiritual merit to reflecting on Jesus's death and passion and resurrection on the day of his birth because of the ways that these mysteries were so intertwined. So I was grateful for the chance to do that on Christmas Day, which was unique. What about you, Rach? What was your God incident recently? Of course, the Christmas season is always filled with God's presence. So there's so many opportunities for him to be showing himself in your life during this time. And definitely was around for many different things. I guess my God incident was last night I had an opportunity to spend some time with Jesus in adoration. And it was just a really beautiful time of just 
sitting there and just allowing him to just talk to me and just allowing him to just refuel me, if I could say that, in, in the sense of just resting in him because I've just been really tired after the Christmas season, just kind of taking on a, a few things and, and dealing with a lot of things. And so it was just a moment where I think I needed to just be with him. Sometimes in adoration, we pray. Sometimes we read. Sometimes we do different things. We sing. Sometimes we are quiet. And last night was one of those times that I was just able to sit in quiet with him and just rest in him. And that silence was just really calming and really relaxing and resting. And I needed that break. And it's been funny because I've been trying to get a break in different ways, you know, trying to like sit in my room and take a nap, go for a walk, or maybe try to escape somehow in these other ways of relaxation. It could be like aromatherapy, you know, whatever it is, right? <laughs> Having <can't> coffee <laughs> on my balcony, whatever it is. But nothing was seeming to satisfy that need for rest until last night. And I think being with him in adoration, it was just in that silence. It was just such a blessing and being able to kind of clear out the noise that was in my head of all the things that I needed to do and get done. And so, yeah, I was just very thankful for that time. Yeah, I think that was my God incident. That's beautiful, simple, but just like in the presentation of the temple, you were saying earlier, adoration is that which gives us the chance to be with God face to face, right? So there's really nothing that could make our heart more complete than than in that moment. So that's really beautiful that God wanted you to experience that. Uh, it makes me think about how I, now that I'm back and in the bustle of life, I need to carve out those moments for adoration too. So good <laughs> reminder. And we will end as we usually do with a Hail Mary, which I'll ask Rachel to lead. Sure. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we want to thank everybody for listening. And if you are listening for the first time, please follow us on social media at Podcast at the Well. You can also find our podcast on all the major podcast apps like Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And by all means, please sign up and register on our website at www.atthewell.ca to receive notifications of any of our latest episodes and anything else happening at The Well. Thank you once again, and God bless. Bye until next time.